Hey, it is your weekly corner spakey. It is Rob here, uh, alone among the hosts, but joined by a returning guest and our friend Flo. Flo, what's up? Hey, y'all. What's up? You may have guessed that we are talking about France again, specifically the upcoming June elections. Um, we had an episode originally planned for like a, right after the elections, um, a kind of reaction to the, I don't know, the same old, same old from Macron, you know, the repeat of 2017. But now um, maybe this has been clearer to those uh, on the ground in France. But now even just a couple weeks later, there seems to be an exciting new um, development with this new left block and the upcoming June elections. So, Flo, I guess we should just start there. Um, what is NUPEST and what's going on with the, with the June elections? All right. So after uh, the second round, Macron won, of course, with around, uh, around 60%. Um, so NUPES is the New People's Ecologic and Social Union. It's a coalition of parties, uh, including La France Insoumise, the French Communist Party, the Socialists, and the Greens, uh, as well as some other uh, smaller uh, constituent parties. So it's a legislative uh, front against Macron and his, uh, and his government. Um, so what it aims to do is basically create the strongest opposition possible uh, and win as many seats as we can in uh, the June 12th and June 19th uh, two-round legislative elections. Um, that all sounds well and good, and I think it's something that people in every country call for. And of course, uh, the left, their divisions on the left, the, the, the liberal left is very skeptical of the far left and, and so on. And so these things don't usually happen. And in France, uh, unless I'm mistaken, I believe people like Anne Hidalgo were calling Mélenchon a Russian agent like, uh, what, a month ago? <laughs> a month and a half ago? So uh, it seems like a lot has changed in just a couple, a couple weeks. So what is, what is the form of this new agreement and how did it come together uh, so quickly? Yeah, for sure. So a lot of people could ask, like, why wasn't there uh, an electoral alliance beforehand? Well, the reason was because a lot of uh, parties like the Greens and the Socialists, uh, they were offered, uh, you know, open hands, uh, open arms, I would say, by uh, La France Insoumise in, um, in the 2022 uh, presidential election. So uh, they missed a lot of opportunities where we gave them, um, you know, favorable accords for like the regional elections in 2021 and said, you know, if we can maybe uh, continue um, you know, building bridges, we can, you know, be together for 2022. But unfortunately, that didn't happen, right? So I would say uh, La France Soumise, you know, with the best program, with the best candidate, uh, it garnered 22% of the vote, putting it in a really hegemonic position on the left. Uh, so we went into negotiations with uh, the Greens and the Communists at first uh, in late April. And those negotiations terminated in early May, right? Um, we finally agreed to talk with the Socialist Party, which was the most uh, social liberal and most, um, you know, I, I would say uh, uh, historically um, uh, treacherous party on the left. But, you know, it was all on our own terms. So I would say, you know, we got a lot of what we wanted. We uh, had all of our uh, views on top of the agenda for every major domestic issue, including like spiny issues of, uh, you know, the EU treaties of, you know, whether or not we should... Uh, submit to EU austerity or neoliberal treaties that, you know, constrain what we can do on the domestic level. So the uh, Greens and the PS feel very, you know, attached to the EU. They're kind of more like pro-EU and 
EU optimists and the PCF, for example, the Communist Party, the French Communist Party, is pro-nuclear. So we actually were able to, you know, push forward our, our agenda on um, on domestic issues, including energy, uh, including EU treaties, including, uh, you know, our social programs for uh, social safety nets and raising the minimum wage, uh, blocking energy prices, etc. So we, we have a lot of things that we got out of these negotiations, uh, but we can maybe go into, you know, um, some nuances later, I guess. Um, yeah, I would like to ask you some some specific uh, platform or some of the positions that this uh, this block is is running on. But I think the be- one of the best pieces of evidence to the um, I think boldness and um, just that it's a good platform is the is the criticism that is received uh, from the neoliberal wing of the Socialist Party. It certainly seems to have the right enemies. Um, I have a quote from. Hollande himself here, uh, well now I'm quoting France 24, the former French president had already warned that an accord between the Socialist Party and La France Insoumis would call into question the very principles that are the foundations of socialist engagement, telling France Info Radio on April 28th that such an alliance would lead to the disappearance of the Socialist Party, um, which is just, I don't know if he's looked out the window in the, the past five years, but yeah. <laughs> um, it seems, seems like making the right enemies. I don't know if you have any other thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. And, um, you know, for for Hollande, you know, a lot of people don't really care what he has to say now um, since he, you know, like he left office with a 4% approval rating. So he's one of the old elephants, the old barons of the PS uh, that really, you know, want to keep their, their, their powers like a, a local apparatchik, right? And they, you know, I, I would be, to be honest, you know, I would be kind of happy if the PS would disappear, right? Um, I know that we're in coalition with them and, uh, you know, but I guess the fact that they accepted a lot of our, our program is proof that we are on, you know, we're on top of this. We're on top of this relationship. And, uh, you know, we got 22%. They only got 1.7% with Anne Hidalgo. And even Anne Hidalgo is, you know, uh, you know, she she didn't want to be in the uh, New Pest Alliance from the beginning. So it's like, I think now the decision has been made by their uh, general secretary Olivier Faure, and so uh, and their and their national council, which took a democratic internal vote. So it's like this is um you know this is a decision that has been made, and I'm I'm glad that you know if it is the death of the Socialist Party. Well, I mean, it's already been dead for a long time since 2017, I would say. But uh, you know, tant mieux, as we say in French. It's like all the better. I think it's it's good that um, you know they kind of uh, leave place for the future of the left, which is in uh, the more radical side of of our of our coalition. Um, let's get to some of those platform or platform planks, I guess you'd say, in the uh, in in New Pace. Um, so you have some listed here that from the Future in Common platform. Uh, could you share some some of those? Okay. To be honest, we won't be able to achieve a lot of things on the, uh, you know, on the foreign policy side of things since uh, the presidency, um, you know, accommodates the role of uh, commander in chief. So when it comes to like La France Afrique, when it comes to uh, our foreign policy and, um, you know, our relations with countries that we export arms to like Saudi Arabia, India, etc., we won't be able to do very much on, um, on, you know, in case of a military conflict or you know, changing the Atlantis framework of, uh, of the foreign policy establishment here in France. But there's significant advances that can be made by a left-wing majority in the National Assembly, including raising the minimum wage to 
1,500 euros a month, uh, raising, um, lowering the retirement age to 60 with, um, with, you know, the minimum wage as the, as the, um, as the stipend for, uh, for monthly, uh, pensions and blocking the prices of energy, gasoline, and even fried fruits and vegetables. So like, there's like really concrete things that we can do if we have a legislative majority that will just impact, um, you know, millions of people that are in need of like food aid. We, we still have like 8 million people that need, um, like literal food aid in France that are in a situation where they have to go, you know, to local associations and, uh, and get, uh, help, you know, paying for groceries and stuff. And so if we, if we do this, we immediately, um, you know, alleviate poverty for like millions of citizens. We can also do stuff on the ecological and, you know, feminist side of things. So we can ban glyphosate. So like a toxic chemical, um, you know, used by Monsanto. And so, um, you know, we can achieve like concrete things that will um, that will prove that you know the ecological and feminist and socialist left still exist. Another thing that we have in our platform is like one billion euros will be budgeted to associations fighting feminist uh, femicide and sexual violence. So um, you know in the past three years we've had about like eighteen percent increases in uh, sexual violence and uh, violence against women. So I think that you know if we uh, if we like budget. 1 billion euros, that's uh, a lot more than like what Macron has been doing, you know, just completely ignoring uh, questions of feminism, ecology, and, you know, social rights and, and, uh, and union rights all over, you know, the five years that he's been uh, in office. Um, I want to talk about the polling really quick, because this all, again, sounds well and good. But the most surprising thing to me, again, as an outsider coming in, is that this block is actually leading in the polls, um, not an outright majority, but it's the ahead of Macron and the the, the far right block. So, uh, I, I there's no easy way to answer this, but just is it is it as simple as is there something else going on? Is it just that everyone has now come together against Macron? What what is why other than the the rightness of the policies? What like what has changed basically? Why, why is it ahead in the polls? And, and do you think that lead will hold? Yeah. So um, there was a poll published by Harris Interactive uh, just yesterday, actually, that said that um, the uh, NUPES coalition is um, at 29% of voting intentions for June. And then below it, we have like the rest of the forces of, um, you know, the right and the far right. So uh, Ensemble, which represents... Uh, the centrist coalition of Macron and uh, two other centrist parties, they, they represent 26%. And then the far right, uh, the national rally represents 23%. So with 29%, we have a, a comfortable lead, but it also proves that there's like three blocks of voters in society, right? In French, um, it, yeah, for, for the French legislative elections. We have the left, we have the right with Macron, and then we have the far right. And then you also have this fourth block, which is abstentionists. People who just uh, don't vote uh, or are tired of, uh, you know, the same old, same old in politics, and they just want to, you know, uh, find a, a real alternative. So we need to prove to those voters, to those abstentionists, that we actually can, like, win back their trust and uh, that we are able and capable of, uh, of governing, you know, of governing the country. So I would say, like, we are actually better positioned than we were uh, for the presidential elections in 2022 or even 2017, right? Like we have a comfortable, you know, three-point lead right now, a month before this election, 
there, you know, there are a lot of scandals uh, plaguing um, plaguing Ensemble, the centrist coalition, and uh, you know, obviously, the far right always underperforms, even you know, uh, when months of polling show them at you know very high uh, percentages. So, like, basically, we always overperform, and we saw that last time uh, with Mélenchon being at like seventeen percent, and then the day of the election. Uh, on April 10th, he got like 22%, right? So, um, you know, the polling is already good. And the reason why is because about 80% of voters on the left said that they would be favorable to a coalition of uh, all the left-wing parties, including the Greens, the Communists, the, uh, the Socialists, and La France Insoumise, right? So we, um, we basically achieved the dream that a lot of voters that are outside of each party uh, had always wanted, right? Um, I would say like, okay, you know, at least it's under the platform of La France Smith because I would not want to accept like the green platform or the socialist platform or the communist platform because I personally, you know, um, you know, volunteer activist for La France Smith, I would want to, you know, be anti-nuclear, you know, which is not in, uh, in the communist platform, or I want to be like resistant to EU austerity, which is not in the green or the socialist platform. So now they just gave that up and they're accepting our domestic policies. So um, that's the benefit of this coalition. And it also looks good in the eyes of voters who are not really engaged in, uh, in any movement, right? Who have no real preference. They just vote for the left. And, you know, it looks good when everyone's together. It gives uh, some enthusiasm, some optimism, and people don't fight each other because of factional reasons. Yeah. Um, one other positive to come out of it, in addition to all of the blocking uh, Macron's uh, neoliberal agenda, the absolute like ravaging of the country of France, uh, implementing all these policies, it would be extremely satisfying to see Mélenchon as a prime minister under Macron. <laughs> so I need you to brace me. Is there a way that Macron can get around it? How let's say Nupes gets the, the plurality of votes, but not a majority. Will we see a prime minister Mélenchon? What's the, what are the roadblocks? All right. It's honestly very, very difficult. It is technically possible. It is technically possible for Mélenchon to become prime minister if we get 50% of uh, the seats in the National Assembly. So uh, there's like 577 seats in the National Assembly. And to get an outright majority, I think uh, it's like um, you need 289 seats. And uh, we have about 100 uh, where it's basically winnable for the, uh, for the NUPES. We have 100 uh, constituencies where it's winnable outright in the first round. And then we have um, uh, a bunch, we have like 400 around 400 where it's um, it's going to be a, a contest between us or the far right or the centrists for the second round. So it's um, it's technically possible because like we have 100 secure seats, we have 400 that are technically winnable, right? And you only need around 300 to, uh, to have a majority. So Mélenchon uh, would, if we had 50%, be the natural leader of you know whatever uh, whatever comes next in, uh, in in the national assembly. So um, the the way this works is that you have the pres the French presidential elections, and then like about two months after, you have the legislative elections, which designate all the seats, 
and then um, the president must choose a prime minister. The National Assembly uh, validates the choice of prime minister by the president. So right now we have uh, a new prime minister who was chosen uh, just like two days ago, uh, Elisabeth Borne, and she is the former um, uh, Ministry of Work uh, minister. And uh, she will remain prime minister unless we elect a uh, sufficient opposition, right, in parliament, uh, because the, the president then becomes forced to choose from, um, from the opposition's choice, right? The, the opposition can say, like, we'll just block whoever you choose as prime minister unless it's our guy or our woman, right? And so in this case, uh, it's been agreed upon that Mélenchon would be uh, the choice of the opposition for prime minister. Um, I want to uh, clarify or offer some useful context, which is that the system as it's designed now, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Macron's party has a majority, like a solid majority, or at least a majority of the, the seats currently. And so that's basically by design. Um, the, the, election, the legislative elections are immediately after the, the presidential elections. Um, a lot of the kind of, I don't know how uh, common these commonly referred these uh, how commonly these uh, arrangements are referred to in day-to-day political life but at least online you see some references like uh, in the late 90s uh, the the plural left um, was blocked Chirac in, in a kind of cohabitation which I guess would be the direct precedent of this and of course there's a you know as far as I understand a certain national pride and something like the popular front um, from you know, much earlier. But how do you see something like this cohabitation where, again, in the, in the ideal scenario where Nupes has a plurality or a significant block of seats, how would that look with, with Macron as president, even if it's not getting the prime minister? What are the, the levers that, that a left bloc could pull? What are the, uh, I'm trying to think of more metaphors here, <laughs> what, what are the tacks that can be thrown in front of uh, Macron's tanks? Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, even without a legislative majority, we could still enact, uh, you know, uh, laws and referendums if uh, if enough um, opposition is built in parliament and uh, on, you know, spiny issues that can even divide uh, the centrists or um, like we could be able to propose referendums and uh, initiate uh, certain procedures in parliament that would, you know, put blocks into uh, whatever like reforms on you know, uh, the retirement age, for example, that uh, Macron wants to do, which is uh, really unpopular. And, you know, we already had like major protests in 2019, um, right before COVID hit uh, against uh, the reform of retirement and pensions. So um, you mentioned that there was the, um, you know, different eras of cohabitation. So in the 80s and 90s, we had a uh, a couple examples of cohabitation. For example, under uh, Mitterrand, he was the socialist, the first socialist president of the uh, of the Fifth Republic. Um, he lost his majority in the National Assembly in the '86 elections, so he chose uh, this right wing guy, uh, Jacques Chirac, who eventually became president, uh, who was um, on the right wing of the Rally for the Republic party, the Golis. And so it was to gain trust of people uh, so that he could eventually win the uh, 88 presidential election. So there was like an alternative where he could have chosen someone that's more centrist and social liberal, but he actually just like, I don't know, uh, just betrayed that to gain more capital, social capital so that he could like 
win that future election. It was just like, you know, it's it's always a delicate position, um, and it it's always better to have the presidency and to just like choose all of your ministers and to win every legislative election. Of course, like you know, it's difficult because we lost by very few you know points. We lost uh, our chance to get to the second round and maybe even to get to the presidency with Mélenchon, but. Um, you know, there's an example of how cohabitation was relatively better than the alternative. In 1997 to 2002, um, you had Jacques Chirac, who was president, right? You know, right-wing guy. And then he had to name a, uh, an opposition prime minister. So this was uh, Lionel Jospin, uh, you know, uh, a cadre from the, the Socialist Party. Uh, you know, kind of technocratic guy, not very charismatic, but at least he, um, he made some labor reforms. One that was extremely essential, the 35-hour thir- the work week, which um, made it really difficult for employers to, you know, uh, put more hours on workers so that, you know, it actually in- theoretically increases employment so that we have a maximum amount of, uh, you know, employment and that, you know, uh, unions can actually become stronger in this way uh, and uh, workers have more negotiating power and etc. So you basically had the most amount of power uh, distributed to the hands of workers in a long time by um, the prime minister being in power with a, a legislative majority uh, in, the, in the late 90s, early 2000s, right? So getting the, the post of prime minister would be essential to, uh, to making reforms for the left on domestic policy, right? Of course, like, it'll be difficult to, you know, to to stop a neo-colonial, you know, neo-colonialism in Africa or, you know, like, uh, you know, in the case that NATO, you know, calls on all of its member states to go to war, like, you know, the president has to, has to take that role of uh, chief of command. But, you know, on domestic policy, we'll, we'll be able to get things done if we have a uh, as prime minister, right? So that's the bet that we're making. Of course, it's difficult, you know, it's going to be like, really hard, because especially, um, we don't have like proportional uh, elections. We just have like circumscription by circumscription. You have to win, so it makes um, it makes like rural uh, constituencies overrepresented. So that means that you know rural rep- rural constituencies, which are usually either more uh, conservative or sometimes even centrist, they will um, they will vote for you know, Macron or the far right. And so that means that we lose out on a lot of these uh, constituencies. And so we might have less seats than, uh, than we're polling at right now, but we'll see. We'll see. Hopefully uh, we can change that with a, with a good ground game. I know we're going to keep circling back to the election itself, but I want to talk about the left in general and this left block, because I think the story, um, especially internationally in a lot of the French elections was uh, the resilience of Macron that he will have, uh, he'll be the first president in a little bit to, to have a second term, according to the polls, uh, the rise of Zamor and another far right figure and in the increasing, uh, there's a word for it. I'm forgetting, but the, the right wing shift in the media landscape, at least in France. Um, and I think this story on the left, whatever's happening on the left is, worth unpacking too and why exactly this is the case because it, it seems quite clear that there is now a, a left union which there hasn't been before and it's worth unpacking why exactly that could happen 
uh, in now, and it couldn't have happened last year or even last month. There's two um, reasons I've seen. So I'll I'll propose them to you, and then uh, I'd like I'd like you to weigh in. The first would be that despite the the 2017 being the death of the Socialist Party, they still had quite a few seats in the Legislative Assembly. Um, I think more than the France Insoumis, or am I mistaken? Yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah, yeah. Which which doesn't which doesn't seem to correspond certainly in my uh, non French picture of of where the 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 balance. Uh, the, the direction these parties are headed in, so that there was at least some claim, even over the past five years, although I understand the, the seats have shifted, there's some claim that the Socialist Party could have some claim to, to the left. And the second would be Macron himself coming out of the Socialist Party. Um, there's the, the very funny uh, Macron political compass where he has said, I'm, I'm a socialist and I'm not 30, a socialist. 36, 36 different things that can be placed yeah. anywhere. Um, and in 2017, he could maybe not convincingly, but at least somewhat pitch himself as a, as a progressive candidate. Um, and it seems to me that that's no longer the case. Um, so maybe we can start with that second one. Why, maybe this is an obvious answer, but why can Macron no longer pitch himself as a progressive? What, what was maybe the final straw for people? There was a lot of different things. There was the Gilets Jaunes movement. There was the 2019 uh, uh, retirement reforms that were you know heavily protested. Uh, there was like um, a transport strike in tw- in December 2019. You know, we had like all these uh, social movements, and you know, especially with um, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement uh, in 2020. We also saw you know people criticizing police violence. We saw people criticizing the way that uh, Macron's ministers were taking elements of language of the far right. Uh, you know, demonizing even like university uh, professors and academics and. Uh, intellectuals, you know, calling them like Islamo leftists and all this. So uh, we talked about this on the previous episode and y'all have already uh, addressed a lot of these issues uh, with other speakers as well, like Cole Stengler. And um, I think like a lot of, um, a lot of like what Macron has been doing is just what a typical right wing president uh, would do. And, you know, his past couple prime ministers have uh, come from the Republican party, for example, Edouard Philippe, or uh, Jean Castex, they come from the Republican Party. Uh, his new uh, Prime Minister Elisabeth Borne, she she uh, comes from the Socialist Party, but uh, she immediately joined Macron in 2017, and uh, you know she's like responsible for a lot of privatization of uh, the national railways and of uh, the airports in Paris. So I would say like. She's basically proved herself to be right wing. And you also, you know, had him like deliberating between picking a woman from uh, from the Republican Party uh, a couple of days before he picked uh, Elizabeth Bone. So like all around, like Macron is just a right wing guy. Right. Um, you know, uh, as you said, like in 2017, he could have proven himself to be uh, progressive just based on his like communication strategy or based on like some of his social values or um you know, some of that kind of posturing on cultural issues and stuff like that. But now it's just too obvious. So I would say like, um, you know, people really want to address like, you know, bread and butter issues like inflation, um, which is extremely high, over 5% inflation that Macron has not been able to address. Uh, He's been trying to like lower um, the price of gas and like lower the price of energy in general and subsidize some of that. Uh, you know, take people um, 
you know, help people with their budgets there. But unfortunately, uh, you know, he's probably going to like end that, you know, after as soon as he, you know, wins electorally and, you know, as soon as, you know, he can, um, he can have some respite from that. He's just going to stop uh, these subsidies for, for energy. So I would say like, we know, like we need to address these bread and butter issues, economic issues, issues that touch like people's material basis. Um, so uh like there is renewed interest in the left just because of like the platform that we have right um blocking prices raising the minimum wage to uh 1500 uh, a month right um the retirement age at 60 instead of 65 as Macron has it right so we want to um i guess like we want to implement those policies. And then also there's a renewed uh, sense of optimism for the left because like what we've done and the accords that we've made are actually historic uh, in a way, because like in about two weeks, we've done what, you know, what y'all in Germany with the, with the, uh, the traffic light coalition uh, have done in like multiple months. Right. So I think it was like eight months or something to create the coalition and to agree upon everything. So it's like, um, it's also due to uh, the score of Mélenchon in the in the presidential election, right? Because like that's how you know for their own survival, the Socialist Party needs to ally with us and needs to give up like major parts of what they thought about the EU and you know their platform, right? But you're right, you know it's difficult to accept these people, you know, into our coalition because they, um, you know, they've been traitors for the last you know five years of. Uh, well, I guess they produced Macron, and then, like, even before that, in 2012 to 2017, the Hollande administration has been, you know, proved itself to be anti-worker with the Loi du Comri, for example, which uh, spelled out the demise of the 35-hour work week in French labor law. And, you know, they actually had to repudiate that when they joined the, the NUPES coalition. So uh, we'll see how the situation evolves, because, like, the PS promises all of this now. They make a lot of nice promises, but... We'll see when they keep their if they keep their promises while they're in office, right? Um, so I will say the uh, new anti-capitalist party, the NPA, which is a far left, uh, you know, party with uh, Trotskyist roots. It was uh, it's very small, but they uh, they were present at the negotiations with uh, La France Insoumise, and they their demand was that the PS be excluded from the talks. So initially, in late April. Mathilde Panot, president of the uh, France Soumise group at the National Assembly, she said in uh, the Sunday Journal that there would be no discussions with the PS. But unfortunately, two days later, Mélenchon announced that there would. So I I feel kind of conflicted because like, okay, well, they accepted, uh, you know, to give up parts of their platform. They accepted things like that were favorable on to La France Soumise. But we know these people are going to be traitors, right? So it is true that the LFE like backtracked on this. And so like, um, you know, within two days we changed our position on whether or not we would negotiate with the PS. And so the anti-capitalist far left was like, okay, y'all are, y'all are, uh, you know, abandoning your values and et cetera. Um, and it's true that like the PS was offered, um, 70 seats, right. Which is three times more than their proportional score in the presidential elections. And uh, the NPA, the anti-capitalists, uh, they were offered 15 seats with no solid, solid winnable like constituency. So it's like 
it was really unfavorable for you know this small activist uh, party that um, you know has the best intentions and a lot of people in La France Mies really support um, you know Philippe Poutou and you know some of these like far left figures of the NPA, but it's like like the thing is the PS is really implemented in, in implanted in um, in rural circumscriptions and um, you know some areas where barons of the PS have been implanted for a long time, right? So they they have like entire constituencies under their grasp and if they accept things that are like on a national level going our way like if they accept our entire program on a national level we are going to use their constituencies on a local level to be able to implement the policies that we want right so i think i don't know we'll really have to see like whether or not the psb trades their uh their promises to us right because like give them benefit of the doubt but yeah, I don't know. I, I okay. I'll be honest with you. Like, I I'm kind of against this, and I just want to say, like, I I um I'm not a spokesperson of La France Insoumise or uh, l'Union Populaire, and I'm not a, play, a paid working employee, right? Because like I have friends who you know work for the movement, etc. So like my criticisms are like my personal criticisms, and um, they don't represent the views of the movement. But it's just like I know that you know these people have a really, really, really high chance of betraying us if they get into parliament, right? And um, so I'm personally against it, but I'm I'm doing like local activism for a guy in my constituency that is uh, a founding member of the of the left party. And, uh, and uh, you know, he's been with La France Suisse for a long time. He's been with the movement for 10 years. And like, you know, we have like, I, I, I feel strongly about my local guy uh, who's representing the NUPES right now, but when it comes to the PS, me personally, I would probably be a little bit skeptical or, you know, hesitant to, uh, to support, um, the PS. Right. I'm happy you brought it up because it's, it is complicated. Um, I would probably agree with you, uh, just from, uh, from a gut feeling about, about who, who you should trust and who you shouldn't. But I think, I don't know how, how they made the decision, but it is a fact, um, to different, to, to different degrees, but, Let's take Germany, for example. It is true that many workers continue to vote for the SPD rather than Die Linke, even if Die Linke might be closer to their to their values. And that represents a, uh, a crucial uh, block, right, <laughs> to, to building, to building a, any, any left block or left alliance. And uh, I think you said the word gamble, but that's exactly what it is, right? It's a gamble that, uh, what was Anadago again? Two percent, one point five percent. That if, if you get like if if there's ever a time that you can uh, you can force uh, whatever is left of uh, the infrastructure of something like the Socialist Party into a a further left block, I guess the time would be now. And I would I would say on that point on that point, I guess like a lot of people would make the comparison. A lot of people on the far left, especially like Trotskyists or you know in France or in Europe in general, would say like look at Syriza and look at especially like Podemos because Podemos is now like the minor um, coalition partner with uh, PSOE, the, the, the Spanish Socialist Party, right? So um, we, we are not in the same position as that, right? We're not in the same position as uh, they are in Spain and we're not in the same position as Dilinka would have been in a red-red-green coalition in Germany because we made 22 like percent of the vote and the PS here in France made two, like less than 2%. So we like are able to, you know, draw on our legitimacy with, you know, uh, 
with like a vast swathe of, of voters and say like, okay, you have to accept our rejection of the EU, um, you know, treaties of austerity and, you know, the constraining of our domestic policies. You have to reject uh, certain, you know, neoliberal or social liberal policies that you wanted to, to, to have before. And so like, we're forcing the hand of the PS in these negotiations. And it just really depends on like whether or not when they get to parliament, they will still, um, you know, be with us. I guess we still have like about 300 to 350 seats slated for us. So we'll be like, obviously the dominant force in, uh, in the left, in the, in, uh, in the parliament, if we, um, if we get all of the seats that we want, but like, um, yeah, I guess just the, the comparison to Spain or Germany is is a good one initially and then you know like it's kind of inversed because we are the dominant partner in uh, in the relationship so i'd like to maybe this is actually related to that last question which is uh la france insoumise uh seems to me to be one of the um go-to examples of a digital party uh maybe not as much as let's say five-star movement but in terms of a left-wing party maybe more than because the corbyn movement was in they had uh, momentum, but it was inside the Labour Party and things like that. But La France Insoumise is one of these new party forms that obviously since 2017 is uh, in, in France is, are, are the, the dominant parties. Um, and this often comes with the, the caveat or the, the, the asterisk that is uh, whatever their poll numbers show that there's a certain, because it's based around a charismatic leader, because it's kind of media driven and uh, yeah, outside of certain institutional roots, uh, that this can be, I'm not sure the right word, um, more fragile or it's certainly just newer and, and things can change more quickly. So I'd like to just invite you to, to talk about that dynamic of La France Insoumise. How much is it a, a digital party? How much would you push back against that classification? And all of these, even the the Parliament, uh, the Popular Union, which you referred to, and this new left bloc, to what extent are those maybe grounding or institutionalizing the France Insoumise? Yeah, so I think uh, you're definitely right. Like, that's exactly true. It is a digital party. Uh, we do a lot of our activism, um, you know, using social media, but also through, um, you know, platforms like uh, this app called Action Populaire. It's like, uh, basically a social network for the left that, you know, plugs people into different uh, activist actions and opportunities that, you know, it, uh, that are in their neighborhood. Like you can um, go uh, distribute some tracts and, uh, or, you know, go uh, to a protest uh, or go to a campaign meeting that's around you. And so like um, we use like digital tools to, uh, to supplement are you know in on the ground in-person activism and i would say la france mise is also like the best uh group on the left for in-person activism as well because like when you look at the ps a lot of what they do is just you know they have their apparatchiks in uh you know their constituencies that have been there for like decades and they kind of just sit there and you know keep on uh keep on getting people to vote for them i mean like with La France Insoumise, we have to go, you know, be on the ground, but we also supplement that with a lot of digital mobilization. So that's what it is like on the uh, on the day to day, you know, volunteer activist basis. But when it comes to like the national level, with uh, you know our spokespeople and our you know elected representatives, we have like seventeen elected representatives, and Minochon has a very strong personality. You know, 
he has like a hot temper. Sometimes is really grumpy. And uh, yeah, it's it's true that you know when it comes to like mass communications and you know the media, um, it can be delicate. But it can also you know like allow us to have these viral moments where um, you know the left is actually looking you know fresh and new, and it's like we're not you know constrained to uh, you know the urban middle class, or we're not constrained to um, you know, typical union voters that, you know, have always voted for the left for decades. We, we can actually appeal to young voters with social media. We can actually appeal to, you know, people in the countryside that, you know, are not really linked up with public services or not really linked up with, uh, you know, major, uh, institutional organizations like, um, you know, NGOs, associative groups or, or unions. And it's like, we can reach people with new communication forms. And so I think that's why, like, it actually is good to supplement your on the ground activism with uh, with strong social media personalities and, you know, with uh, good spokespeople that can, you know, really play a role. So we also saw that with like in 2011 to 2014, that's how like Podemos kind of rose to power. They had like a bunch of uh, young people, you know, mobilized on the ground in 2011. And then you had like a, like a handful of um, really good communicators that were always appearing on TV to represent this anti-system vibe uh, that really won over a lot of people who, uh, you know, were following the media at the time. So I feel like, um, yeah, I guess the problem with uh, media-driven mobilization and charismatic leaders is that it's it becomes extremely dependent on their personality. So if they get demonized by the media, then you're you're kind of fucked. And then um, that's kind of what happened with uh, with Mélenchon, like in 2018, when he yelled at a police officer, right? So like uh, we got that going on, but we also have like internal democracy um, really suffers, and so people will like criticize La France Mise to say like, okay, Mélenchon takes a lot of these decisions, and you know even like the party cadres um, or the elected representatives in the National Assembly, they they make a lot of decisions without consulting the, the activist base. So we have like about like 20,000 people that were plugged into the election um, uh, doing like on the ground activism uh, uh, during the during uh, 2022 election. Right. So um, and then we had like 300,000 people that were uh, inscribed online on our uh, on our digital platform. We took a vote internally with like 200,000 members um, online to see what we would do when Macron and Le Pen were at the second round, right? So we decided, you know, uh, that we would mostly vote um, vote blank in the case of Macron versus Le Pen, right? But they didn't consult us on whether or not we wanted to um, do an alliance with the PS, for example, or whether or not we wanted to have a, a coalition with any other party. That basically came out of uh, the decision making that came from the top with, uh, you know, Mélenchon and, and, um, and a lot of, you know, uh, political cadres that, um, that are, you know, integrated in La France Soumise and uh, they didn't really consult us. So I would say that's the, that's the one, like, downfall that you have of, like, non-democratic movements or that you have of, like, movements that are really based on mass communication and charismatic personalities. Um, they they make you feel like you're not really part of that decision making process but i would say like it was still better to have that for the presidential elections like look at macron and le pen right 
they got really high scores. Their entire like party apparatuses are like based and their movement structures are based on their personality, based on that, you know, hierarchical decision making that, you know, works in the Fifth Republic, right? Because like uh, in France, the, the presidency is so powerful, they can like do a lot of things without uh, needing to consult the legislative assembly, right? So Mélenchon being that charismatic figure that we need, that's why we had 22%. You know, if we were in Germany where, you know, for example, Die Linke is making 5% and they have like a bunch of factions that, you know, uh, kind of attack each other a lot. Like we kind of see that, you know, at least for the presidential elections, what we were doing was good, right? What we were doing was, you know, Mélenchon didn't have like any major um, political scandals or whatever. We had never like had like, uh, you know, fake, um, uh, fake, uh, employees, you know, that were getting paid with public taxpayer money. Right. Um, so none of these scandals, you know, fell onto us. And I would say like, we got really lucky because, uh, Mélenchon is just a really good speaker. He has no scandals. Um, he's just a little bit grumpy and that's it. Like you can, you can actually run a good campaign with, you know, a good candidate and a good platform. And that's what we had. We just, um, now that it's coming to, you know, it's coming time to do a legislative election, it's becoming more difficult to justify this, you know, to centralize things around uh, Mélenchon's personality, even if he's calling for people to vote for him as uh, as a prime minister, right? Uh, there's going to be a time where we need to open up the movement and say like, okay, what do we really want to achieve? What is our program now that the elections are done? How are we going to mobilize and how are we going to, um, you know, build ourselves into an institution just like they, you know, just like workers did in the 20th century, right? Um, with workers unions and with uh, mass mobilizations and et cetera. So like, that's the, that's the, you know, conversation to be had, you know, after the election, I would say, because like, it's very difficult to have those in, you know, a month's time when we're all, you know, hands on deck, concentrating really hard to get our local candidates elected. I think that's a good point, because the, the, the digital party, insofar as it exists, is presented as kind of the, the, the end state of this depoliticization. But it's worth asking in what ways it can, I don't know the right analogy, maybe a cycle or like a, like a, a rebirth or something that will create, like you said, new form, new institutional forms that come out of uh, the previous cycle of, uh, of change. And I think the best way to unpack that, at least in the time we have left right now, is to ask how you see La France Insoumise, uh, Nupesh, how they're relating to, how they will relate to the extra parliamentary left in popular movements over the next five years. Uh, Macron's still president, and in the last term, we saw the yellow vests, we saw the anti-racist protests, uh, massive strikes. Um, Macron certainly, I'm sure will, uh, as you alluded to earlier, uh, pick up where he left off and, and try to implement some of those um, you know, cuts and quote-unquote reforms that will lead to massive strike movements. What role does uh, Mélenchon, does the parliamentary left have to play in relation to those popular movements and yeah uh radical movements it's in what you described like we we just had like uh these movements in 2019 2018 with the gilets jaunes and the uh the transport strike 
uh, and um, and the movement against the retirement reforms. So like all of those uh, prove that you know there's mass mobilizations, but it's going nowhere if we don't like govern. If the left does not govern, then the right and the neoliberal like centrists will just constantly make these laws again and again, and they will just try to pass them. And this is what's happening with Macron being reelected. He's just going to do the the retirement reforms again, even though you know he took a break from implementing them because of COVID, uh, because he knew like it would be like extremely unpopular to do it at the same time as COVID happening, right? But like, I think that one thing that we can expect uh, is a lot of people out on the streets marching against retirement reforms because uh, it's like extremely unpopular moving the retirement age from. Uh, 64 to 65 right when what we are proposing is 60 and it was actually 60 a long time ago uh during the front populaire in nine in the 1930s literally we had like the retirement age at 60 it was crazy how we're just like going back you know uh pushing it back to like 65 when you know historically isn't like technology and capitalism supposed to be you know progressing towards less and less work for you know for the general public right like we're supposed to be having you know technological progress and uh you know sharing work between the unemployed and you know the employed uh you know working populace so it's like it just doesn't make sense and that's why you're going to have a lot of marches against these retirement reforms and it's up to the new left coalition to say like we propose the retirement age at 60 right we propose a concrete uh plan of governing right because Look at the Gilets Jaunes movement. You know, for three years, they protested a lot. And of course, you know, there's thousands of people that had been, you know, hurt by the police. Uh, you know, even like some people that, you know, had really major like mutilations and really terrible stuff happened to them. Even people that died. You know, I think we talked about this last time. Um, you know, a, a woman who died in her apartment because she got like suffocated to death from, you know, police who threw a bomb, um, who threw a smoke bomb there. And so it's like, we have like all these sacrifices, but what does it amount to? You know, if the Gilets Jaunes movement is not able to create a plan of governance, then what purpose do social movements serve if they're not able to organize into, you know, a, co- a cohesive uh, movement that's not necessarily electoral, but a cohesive movement that can actually take things from the hands of the capitalists, right? Take the capital that belongs to us, right? So I think. That's where our role comes in as uh, as the electoral left, right? We need to be listening to the social movements and implementing their policies. And it's actually what I guess we can, if we want, we can, uh, you know, end on this. But like the uh, the Popular Front that was elected in 1936 was a coalition of the socialists, the communists, and a center left party called the radicals. They they were the first real left-wing um, force in power uh, in, I think this was like the Third Republic, right? Uh, after uh, after uh, Napoleon III uh, took power in the, in the, uh, in the late 18, uh, 1850s, right? So we have like this first time in French history that the left comes to power. And what happens? We have like social movements out in the streets saying this is not good enough unions saying we're gonna go on a general strike and it's it's fucking crazy bro like you have like unions saying like this socialist communist government that we just elected is not good enough we need even more like we need them to keep their promises and we're gonna go out on the streets and protest for even more labor rights 
and that's like what really uh changed the deal for uh for france actually that's why we implemented uh you know something that was close to like uh i think it was like a 40 hour work week at the time and it was like you know eight hour days and um you know like uh you know social benefits uh the first time we had like vacations you know all these things that the labor movement uh took from the hands of capitalists and even forced uh the socialists and the communists to accept right so it's really the people that are going to be at the forefront of um of change and it's never the parliament that is actually going to uh to to make those emancipatory changes it's like we need to have those social movements out in the street and then we need to listen to them and implement their policies and just be at the service of the people right but i mean like we'll see we'll see like the results and it's going to be very difficult to get a legislative majority. So uh, we'll see what happens. There's um, a big focus on ecology in the platform. And the E is, stands for uh, ecologic. And I think uh, you have, uh, you, you wrote a note to us about, um, you know, uh, there's five-year terms in France. And especially on this, uh, it's almost like the opposite of an ecological timescale, you know, the, ironically, which is that if you're, trying to to do something about global warming then there's a very short time scale that you have to act in and five years is uh basically more than half the time to a lot of this like 2030 and these these deadline years and i hope that that uh, urgency comes through uh for the party for the movement and for the left in general yeah 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 i mean i would say like if we if we don't win a majority in the legislature in France, the only alternative is not to wait for the next five years, you know, to have another presidential election. Uh, it's actually to have a general strike at that point, right? Like that's literally the only alternative that will actually like force the hand of capital to, you know, to give us, you know, the social benefits that we need to address inflation and, you know, to start to change the the capitalist system and to address like issues like ecology and ecological planning that we need, right? So. It's it's going to be impossible to wait around five years because like the uh, IPCC says that we need to act in three years. So, I mean, we know Macron is not going to do anything for the environment, and we know that the capitalists are not going to like just you know freely give up their money or freely give up you know the means of production. So we just got to like literally, <laughs> if we don't win, if we don't win in a month, bro, like we got <laughs> got to go on strike. Um, I can't add anything to that. Uh, on that note, Flo, thank you very much for, for joining us, for, for uh, rousing our listeners, I hope. The elections are on June 12th and 19th, for those who are want to circle them on their calendar. Uh, anything else to add? Uh, yeah, I just want to plug uh, Berlin's um, international summer camp for, hosted by the uh, international branch of Die Linke. So uh, last year they held a... A host of conferences in in June. Uh, it was uh, really great. They had like activists from Kashmir, Western Sahara, Turkey, and all over Europe who gathered to share some experiences and deliver conferences and host workshops about uh, how we can learn from each other's movements and build the left. So I would highly recommend that event. It's going on from um, June 25th to the 26th in um, in Berlin. So you can uh, check the event details or the Facebook event page. Uh, you know, in the description, uh, there'll be provided below so uh but yeah thanks for having me on again and anytime just just let me know uh 
I'll uh, I love to you know suggest some speakers or whatever uh, you know when it comes to France and the electoral scene or like uh, the activist scene in in, in France. So yeah, I, I hope you'll be. Uh, we'll call you in live streaming from the from the streets when the general strike starts. Ah yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, bro. Why not? I mean, hopefully. Wait, wait, uh, I want to ask you quickly. Are you are you will you be here in Berlin at the at the D Linka Internationals? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I well, okay. I'm thinking about it. I, I'm thinking you okay. maybe you can cut this out. I like I, I, I shouldn't make any any promises either, but I think I will be there too. I've never been actually. I haven't been able to go. So. Oh, nice, awesome! If you want to, if you want to see both of us, maybe. <laughs> yes. Come, come on, come on, uh, come on by. Flo, thanks again so much, uh, and we will talk to you soon. Have a good one. All right. Thanks, Rob. <laughs>